2022 midterms. What happened? Definitely not a Republican wave, that's for darn sure. I was in charge Republicans expected a rout last night because the party in power often gets shellacked in the midterms. It happened in 2006, 2010, 2014, 2018. And there so far has been a notable Republican win in Congress. J.D. Vance, now senator-elect in Ohio. Really, I, I cannot say thank you enough. I cannot... Also, Herschel Walker looks to have forced a runoff in Georgia. That's a sort of win. But thus far, the only flipped seat in the still-up-for-grab Senate went to the Democrats and John Fetterman. I'm not really sure really what to say right now. My goodness. And the House... It will almost certainly break for Republicans, but the maps are not awash in red. A lot of incumbents held on. Coming up on Today Explained, 2022 midterms. What happened? Support for Today Explained comes from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. If you like spy thrillers or indeed Elizabeth Moss, then you might want to check out FX's The Veil. It's an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. Oh, I'll go. One woman has a secret, same here, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's Today Explained. I'm Noel King. Vox senior politics correspondent Andrew Prokop. What happened in the 2022 midterms? So the much-anticipated red wave does not seem to have materialized. Instead, the results that have been called so far show a very close contest. It shows probably Republicans still being the favorites to take over the House of Representatives, though many outcomes remain uncalled. And the Senate is very close, perhaps a slight Democratic edge, but we don't really know because um, several key races, uh, there's still too much votes left to count. What were Democrats' pitches and Republicans' pitches to voters coming into these very, very crucial midterms? So the Republican closing message focused very much on the economy, which pretty much all polls showed that voters were not very happy with. And higher prices on everything are costing Nevada families plenty. And so is Catherine Cortez Masto. And a secondary theme of theirs was uh, crime. Uh, many ads focused on purportedly rising crime rates. Families nervous about their safety. Yet Mandela Barnes called for releasing half of Wisconsin's jailed inmates. Democrats, meanwhile, ran on defending Joe Biden's record but they, they had an assist, which was rather unusual as far as midterm elections go, which was the Supreme Court's decision 
to overturn federal abortion rights protections this summer. It's offensive to see someone like Blake Masters talking about taking away our rights. Absolutely no abortion. You make it illegal and you punish the doctors. No abortions, even in the case of rape and incest. It's a bit unusual because it's very rare that policy is moved in a conservative direction when a Democrat is in power. Let's talk through some of the races, starting with the Senate races, which at this moment, we don't know who will control the Senate, but it's tense. What are the big takeaways so far? Where were your eyes last night and where are they this morning? So the biggest win for either party so far was in the Republican-held open seat contest in Pennsylvania. Democrat John Fetterman was called the winner over Republican Mehmet Oz. I never expected that we were going to turn these red counties blue, but we did what we needed to do. And that is very important for Democrats' Senate math. They came into this election with uh, the narrowest possible majority, not even really a majority. They have 50 seats and Republicans have 50. So Democrats control the chamber with the tie-breaking vote of Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, So a net flip of even one seat would have given Republicans control of the chamber. But by picking up the Republican seat in Pennsylvania, that gives Democrats a little cushion. Now Republicans need to flip two seats to take over the chamber, and uh, that is still possible for them, considering the races that remain not yet determined. But it's a little difficult, more difficult than just flipping one seat would have been. There are still a few important races that we are waiting on that have not yet been called. Uh, Two of the most important are Nevada and Arizona. Both of these feature Democratic incumbents who are facing competitive races. In Arizona, that's Mark Kelly. In Nevada, that's Catherine Cortez Masto. And so the way the Senate math works is that now that Democrats have picked up the Pennsylvania seat, if they win both Arizona and Nevada, that's enough for a Senate majority. So the party is hoping that they can pull out wins in both of these seats. Uh, At the time we're recording this, uh, Mark Kelly is ahead in Arizona and looking pretty solid there, though, again, lots of votes remaining to be counted, lots of male votes remaining to be counted, and that could take a while. In Nevada, the Republican, Adam Laxalt, was currently ahead, but again, a lot of male ballots will be counted very slowly over the next couple days. And it remains entirely plausible that Catherine Cortez Masto, the Democrat, will end up on top once all those votes are in. Tell us about Georgia. Really, really, really tight race in Georgia. And uh, it's going to go to a runoff, yeah? It looks likely to go to a runoff at this point. Still hasn't been called. Uh, Last I saw... Uh, Raphael Warnock, the Democratic incumbent, was around 49.5% of the vote, and he needed to hit 50% to avoid a runoff. But, you know, Democrats are happy with this outcome because the Republican, Herschel Walker, had actually been leading in the final polls in the race, and they were anticipating that the big question was whether Walker would win outright or whether a runoff would ensue. 
Andrew, let's talk about the House. There were, uh, of course, many more House races, and it looks at this moment, and I'm being very careful with my language, like the House will break for the Republican Party. We don't know for certain. What are the big takeaways in House races so far? So the big takeaway, as I see it, and again, all this is preliminary. There are a lot of races that haven't been called, but incumbents seem to have done quite well. There are very few incumbents who lost, and the ones who did lose, most of them lost because of redistricting, because the districts they had previously represented were changed, perhaps made more Republican or more Democratic, uh, essentially presenting them with, with a different electorate to appeal to, and some of them lost because of that. But The bigger picture in the House is that Democrats' majority was so small as it is that a mere five seats flipping would have been enough to give Republicans a majority. And because of all the redistricting changes, it looks like Republicans are on track to do that. But again, Democrats in competitive races in these House contests were surprisingly resilient. If you go down the list of which were the the toss-up Democratic-held seats, they are overwhelmingly holding on so far. All right, so we've got the Senate, we've got the House, and then there were a lot of very crucial governor's races. What are the results of those indicating so far? So generally, incumbents in competitive contests, again, did quite well. We saw Ron DeSantis reelected in Florida, Brian Kemp reelected in Georgia on the Republican side. It looks like the reports of my political death have been greatly exaggerated. But on the Democratic side, again, there was a long list of Democratic incumbents or Democratic held open seats that were believed to be in real danger of flipping to the GOP. And so far, they really haven't. We saw Tony Evers, the incumbent Democrat in Wisconsin, was reelected. Holy mackerel, folks, how about that? Kathy Hochul in New York. I want to speak directly to New Yorkers. Tonight, you made your voices heard loud and clear. As well as Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, Janet Mills in Maine, uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham in New Mexico. There was a big win for Democrats in the open seat contest in Pennsylvania, where um, pretty far-right Republican candidate Doug Mastriano was on the ballot, but the Democrat Josh Shapiro won it pretty handily. Tonight, you, the good people of Pennsylvania, you won. Opportunity won. A woman's right to choose won. Andrew, we're recording this interview just after 8 o'clock in the morning. What don't we know yet? What are the big outstanding questions? I think the biggest, most consequential question is whether Democrats can hold on to the Senate. After that, it is the House, but that looks pretty strongly leaning toward Republicans at this point. But we can't say that for sure. And then a few key governor's races. I think the Arizona governor's race is a pretty important one that has not yet been called. Again, a pretty far-right candidate, Carrie Lake, was running against Democrat Katie Hobbs, and uh, Lake was expected to win. She had pulled ahead in polls, but Hobbs uh, was currently leading in the count last I saw. 
So, Andrew, sum up these midterm results so far. Democrats outperformed history and expectations with a surprisingly resilient midterm performance. Republicans still appear to be on track to take the House, but it is not the red wave that many in the Republican Party hoped for and many analysts expected. Support for Today Explained comes from Mint Mobile, the only cell phone that tastes good. When the deal is too good to be true, there's probably a catch, right? That incredibly cheap flight to Europe? You probably can't bring a bag or pick your seat or use the restroom. So when I tell you that Mint Mobile offers wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably wondering, what's the catch? Well, according to Mint Mobile, there is no catch. According to Mint Mobile, it's only 15 bucks a month and their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, you can go to mintmobile.com slash explain. That is mintmobile.com slash explain. You can cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash explain. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint mobile for details. Support for Che Explain comes from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. If you like spy thrillers or indeed Elizabeth Moss, then you might want to check out FX's The Veil. It's an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. Oh, I'll go. One woman has a secret, same here, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. I'm Noelle King. It's Today Explained, a show on which my co-host Sean reminded me we never actually predicted a red wave. However, Andrew Prokop of Vox, a lot of smart, informed people did because... All the polls seem to be pointing there. And then in the summer, there was a shift. And that shift, it does seem to closely match the timing of the Dobbs decision from the Supreme Court. We saw this play out in special elections at the time when Democrats ended up doing surprisingly well. It seems like Dobbs was pretty seriously effective at uh, motivating Democrats to turn out and perhaps at motivating even swing voters against Republicans. We did see in some ballot measures, the pro-choice position triumphed in Michigan. And even in Kentucky, there was a a pro-life ballot measure up and it seems to have failed. And I think a lot of this connects back to how typically the party in power suffers in the midterms because of something called thermostatic public opinion shift, that the voters act kind of like a a thermostat. This is a concept in political science, and uh, they view policy as being, you know, too liberal or or too conservative, and and they seek to correct that in the midterms. But the Dobbs decision was was 
really notable, one of the most dramatic uh, conservative policy shifts in in a very long time, and it happened under a Democratic president. So that may have scrambled this typical pattern because now you have uh, voters who do not like this policy change, uh, thinking perhaps the Republicans have gone too far and uh, that they need to uh, keep Democrats in power. A couple months ago, Mitch McConnell himself came out and said the Republican Party in these upcoming midterms essentially has a problem of candidate quality. And we're hearing a lot about that today and how that played into what voters did last night. What did McConnell mean and how did we see that unfold? So essentially, former President Donald Trump attempted to uh, play in several of these competitive Republican primaries backing candidates who maybe had non-traditional political profiles or had a history of extreme views simply because he believed they would be loyal to him. And McConnell would have just preferred, you know, a generic kind of normal Republican in a lot of these races. But he, Trump, for the most part, got his way. And these candidates, most of them appear to be headed for defeat. Uh, We already saw Dr. Oz lose in Pennsylvania. Uh, Blake Masters appears to be in trouble in Arizona. Herschel Walker may be headed to a runoff in Georgia. So it does look like Republicans were hampered by this, but I do have a caveat here, which is that Republicans underperformed all over. It wasn't just in these big high-profile Senate races, and it wasn't a dramatic underperformance in these races as compared to, say, how Republicans were doing in competitive House races. What I take away from that is that it's not just a problem of nominating a set of, you know, weirdos in in certain contests. It's more that there is an issue with the Republican Party brand having alienated potential swing voters. And because of that, because the party did not moderate after the Trump era and make more of an effort to win over those swing voters, the GOP did not feel they really had to make much of an effort to do that this year. They could just run on the economy and win. And uh, it looks like that wasn't enough. Uh, Voters were still punishing them for being the party of Donald Trump. The place where a red wave did happen last night was in Florida. Uh, We could say small wave or a ripple because it's just one state. But Ron DeSantis ran away with the governor's race. Thanks to the overwhelming support of the people of Florida, we not only won election, we have rewritten the political map. Let's talk about DeSantis and how much he won by and why he won by that much. Sure. uh, As of... Wednesday morning, DeSantis was leading his Democratic challenger by about 19 percentage points. And I'm not sure how much to credit this to DeSantis personally, because Marco Rubio is leading his Democratic challenger by about 16 percentage points. So it looks generally just like there was a red wave in Florida and that the state is moving in a direction quite different from the national trend. But here in Florida, which had been the premier swing state, even Jim DeFeedy of of, uh, CBS4 here, the local powerhouse political reporter, says this is no longer a swing state. Florida is red. We actually already saw that in 2020 when across the country, Joe Biden did better than Hillary Clinton had in 2016, but not in Florida. Florida actually moved to the right uh, between 2016 and 2020. 
And that move has continued in 2022. It really looks like Florida is no longer a swing state anymore. Republicans have cemented a pretty solid advantage there. Still, you know, whether you credit this to DeSantis or not, it certainly looks good for him as he's weighing a possible presidential run in 2024. Donald Trump was the big specter hanging over this race in Florida, this governor's race, and of course, many others. Did Ron DeSantis win with Donald Trump's help or without it? He did not ask for Trump's endorsement this year, and uh, Trump did not offer it. Uh, Trump is not feeling too positively towards DeSantis lately because of this pending potential presidential run. Let's see. There it is. Trump at 71. Ron DeSanctimonious at 10 percent. He uh, issued like a, a kind of creepy warning that uh, I know Ron DeSantis better than anyone except maybe his wife and basically telling him to watch out if, if he chose to run for the presidency. But I think the broader story here is that Trump's candidates performed poorly. He did endorse J.D. Vance in Ohio and J.D. Vance won. He endorsed Ted Budd in North Carolina's Senate contest, an open seat race, and and Ted Budd won. But those were red-leaning states, and uh, those weren't some of the most competitive races. In actual competitive, truly swing state contests, Trump's candidates do not appear to be doing well. I don't want to ask you to prognosticate too much, but if Donald Trump's candidates did not do particularly well, do you think the Republican Party is going to change its position, positioning on Donald Trump, maybe be less enthralled to him? There will be conversations about that, to be sure. But, you know, at the end, this comes down to the voters. It wasn't just, you know, Trump pulling the strings to make these candidates become Republican nominees. He made his case to the voters and voters sided with him. So unless the GOP voters' confidence in Donald Trump as a winner, as the leader of their party, as the person who can deliver victory in 2024, unless that confidence is really shaken, then regardless of what the party elites think, Trump still might be on track to become the GOP nominee again if the voters just keep sticking with him. Andrew, we know that even if the Republicans win the House narrowly, which at this moment it looks like they will, they will still have won. Um, The Republican Party has talked loudly about this possibility, of course. And so if they do end up winning the House, what can we expect in Congress? What What do our politics look like now? Well, so the Democratic legislative agenda would be dead. The Republican House would never pass a progressive or or a liberal bill that Democrats would be super enthusiastic about. Uh, And then the question would be whether they can actually manage to find agreement on governing the country, on funding the government, on uh, raising the debt ceiling. That's going to be a really big showdown. And uh, it's not clear the new Republican majority will be willing to really uh, deal on this matter, but we'll have to see how it plays out. Then, of course, the other big issue is investigations. Republicans will now have subpoena power if they control the House, and um, so they want to really rigorously investigate uh, both the Biden administration and the Biden family, uh, specifically his son Hunter and uh, Hunter's uh, business interests. Hunter is already under Justice Department investigation for uh, tax issues in 
related to his foreign work. But uh, Republicans want to turn up the heat and try to, you know, unearth more Biden scandals with uh, investigations in the House. As we went into Election Day, we had analysts saying that democracy itself was on the ballot. We were told to prepare for problems with voting. We were told to prepare for candidates refusing to concede. It was nerve-wracking. What of that bore out? What happened? Overall, it seems like democracy performed pretty well in these midterm elections. You know, there were reports of some problems in certain areas with regards to voting or machines malfunctioning or so on. Uh, that That's always the case. And uh, for the most part, it seems like those issues were addressed professionally. Um, the election deniers, the people who um, really aggressively claim that Biden was not the true winner in 2020 and that they would use the power of their office if elected to try to prevent um, a Democrat from allegedly stealing the election. Those candidates do not seem to have performed very well, which could be uh, uh, scored as a, as a win for democracy. And uh, we don't know how, you know, the war of words over this outcome will play out. It's possible we could still see candidates refusing to concede. It's possible, perhaps likely, that we could see Donald Trump uh, delegitimizing the elections and, and claiming without evidence that there was fraud. But overall, it was an encouraging night for democracy. And that's not about just which party wins. Uh, it's about whether the system works and whether the specific people elected have promised to uphold and protect the system next time. Today's episode was produced by Hadi Moagdi and Miles Bryan with an assist from Amanda Llewellyn. It was edited by Matthew Collette and fact-checked by Laura Bullard. And it was engineered by both Afim Shapiro and Paul Robert Mounsey. I'm Noel King. It's Today Explained. <laughs> 